Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, church family. And good morning to our church family and friends who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome you. I hope you enjoyed (laughs) that clip. I hope you enjoyed the worship experience. Um, We are still in in the middle of our summer series that we've entitled Games People Play. Games People Play. And we've been looking at the different games that we all played when we were younger. Many of us played. And the fact that that many of them correlate to real life and real life experiences. Now, you might have guessed what this morning's game was. Who, who guessed? What was it? Perfection. <laughs> perfection. Nobody's perfect, right? That's what it said. And perfection is that Milton Bradley game in which you have 60 seconds to place 24 small pieces into their matching corresponding holes, not forgetting to hit the stop button because when the time runs out, the board does what? No, one, no one's played this game? Come on, somebody. You've all played this game. The board springs up, causing all the pieces to fly up and go everywhere. Now, it could be quite a nerve-wracking and invoke strong emotions. As I read that one guy got so mad that he wasn't able to do it, and he took that board and threw it against <laughs> the wall. The same thing we used to do with the Rubik's Cube. Remember the Rubik's Cube? If you couldn't get that thing, I solved it. I threw it up against the wall. No, I'm just, I'm just playing. And then you you could put it back the way it's supposed to go. Well, he threw that thing, and the pieces were flying everywhere. Now, concerning perfection or being perfect, this is what the Apostle Paul had to say about that subject. He weighed in in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He said, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Why is he doing it? To protect your faith. Listen to what he's saying this morning. Watch out for those dogs, those people. It doesn't sound very Christian of him, does it? This is in the Bible. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, listen, worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? As garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right 
with himself depends on faith. What does it depend on? It depends on faith. And so the Apostle Paul, in this paragraph, he's contrasting something for us. Righteousness that is gained through the law versus that through faith. And he lists his pedigrees and his titles, if you will. He's born, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisee of Pharisees, of the most religious sect, a persecutor of the church. But he, 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 as far as he was concerned, he had the perfect position before the law if he was going to be justified by the Father. But in the end, he considered it all, he said garbage. One translation uses the word dung. Look that one up when you get a chance. And he tossed his religious fervor aside for faith in Christ and the perfection that can only, only be found in him. And then listen to what he says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on, we talked about this last week, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrew, he continues to, 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 to strive toward perfection, but it's a different type of perfection. Now, here, here's a noteworthy question. And I'm going to ask you, I'm asking those who are listening online as well. Well, let me say it like this. Would everyone who believes he's perfect, please stand up. And if you're watching online, just raise your hand. I, I, don't, I can't see you, but God can see you. Raise your hand. Well, so far, nobody in the room stood up. <laughs> and I can't see if you're raising your hand online, but God can, and if you are, you need to pay attention to this message today because and when you think about it, somebody, somebody might say, well, how come no one stood up? I mean, I mean we're all Christians, right? We're, we're regular church growers, uh, uh, goers. Every now and then I, I, I throw a little bit of money in the offering plate. We, we read our Bibles on, on at least an occasional time. We ought to be perfect, right? Well, wrong, <laughs> okay? Wrong. We are not perfect. The world's definition of perfect, I want you to see this, means without errors, flaws, or faults. Without errors, flaws, or faults. And quite frankly, by that definition, nobody except Jesus was without errors, flaws, or faults. Can I get an amen on that? So aside from him, there's no such thing as a perfect person. Or perfect people. Now that's why. That's why, to me, in, in this era of what I call uh, what they're calling cancel culture, it's dangerous. Anyone heard that term, cancel culture? But it's basically it means that what they're doing is they're looking at people's sins from the past, and it may have happened 20, 30 years ago, or tw 10 years ago, and they're in a position today. Maybe they're a news reporter or they're on TV or the this or that, or if there was a, a movie that was written, they tried to cancel them out. You said this 20 years ago, 
we no longer want to hear you, and they try to get them fired, or they're trying to get books burned, and the, or, or all sorts of things. Disney movies removed. It's called the cancer culture, and, and it's basically a bunch of people who makes them, make themselves the judge, jury, and executioner based on past perceived sins. Now, I want you to hear me this morning, because that's just more of games people play. Thank you, Pastor Sean. <laughs> you guys are the best. Now listen, no one will or could pass the real life perfection test in any lifetime, in any lifetime. The Bible says as much in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Read it out loud with me. One, two, three, go. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not the exception. Turn to somebody else in your house and say, neither am I. There is none righteous, not even one. That, matter of fact, that's a great verse to memorize. That's all your homework. It's uh, Romans 3.10. It's easy. Now, yet it seems that even though that's the truth of what's going on, that there are many people who are looking to find perfection in other people. And again, they make themselves the judge, jury, and executioner. They look to, to the church and church folks, and, and they judge them based on this standard. People who won't come to church or won't associate with Christians because they look at them and they start pointing the finger in judgment toward them. And they're the first one to say that you need to practice what you preach or you need to act like a Christian. And then, of course, it's whatever in their mind you should be doing so that, so that would justify in their minds. Now, when that happens, they start to criticize and they just choose not to associate. You invite them to church. No, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to a house full of hypocrites. Don't raise your hand if you ever thought that way. But there are a lot of people who think that way. Now, I read a story about a fellow by the name of George Hollister. And George was a hog farmer who, re who refused to have anything to do with the church. And when Timothy Duran accepted the call to become the pastor of Grace Church, he was determined to increase its size by reaching the lost. And so he met with the elders of the church, and he asked them to make a list of the town's people who didn't attend church services anywhere. And at the top of that list, there was none other than George Hollister at that name, his name at the top of the list. Pastor Timothy grabbed his Bible, and off he went to the Hollister farm. And upon his arrival, Pastor Tim found George standing in one of his hog lots. And after adjusting to the smell, <laughs> Pastor Tim walked over and introduced himself and George was a friendly man, and the two men talked casually for a while. Put, put this picture up. Keep that up there for a second. And when the subject of the church attendance came up, the old hog farmer's attitude quickly changed. George explained in no uncertain terms why he would not and could not go to church. All I ever see is a bunch of hypocrites who belong to that church, he said emphatically. He named two men who chased after married women. Then he named a woman who was the, was the town's worst gossip. And he ended his attack on the church by saying, if that's the kind of people who go to your church, then I don't want any part of it. Pastor Tim quickly turned the conversation to another subject. 
Stay tuned. We're going to get back to that story. But for right now, I want to cover for you four things that we all need to know about church people. And, and if you have an outline, I want you to fill it out or take note of it somewhere. Four things we all need to know about church people. Number one, we are far from being perfect. Come on, somebody. Far from being perfect. The apostle Paul declared that even after he stated all his credentials, he says he's not perfect. Philippians 3.12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Even though, again, he had the right pedigrees, the right philosophies at the time regarding the law, he said he was flawless, at least in the eyes of men. He realized that his self-righteous zeal was, wasn't worth much. It was only his faith in Christ that amounted to anything, and that's what he admitted. On this earth, he had not obtained perfection. He was just being honest. Paul knew that, that he frequently messed up. That's why he said in 1 Timothy 1.15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. And then he said, of whom I am the worst. He called himself the worst. He called himself the worst of sinners. Now somebody might say, okay, well, Maybe you don't know a lot about Paul, but he, he admitted earlier that he was a persecutor of the church and that he, th he would, thought he was doing God a favor while he was standing by. And when he says persecuting the church, no, he, he actually stood by and watched people die, stoned to death, because he thought this was a religious sect. And so he considered himself one of the worst of sinners that Jesus came to, 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 to die for. When someone say, well, Pastor Rick, I'm not, I'm not as bad as Apostle Paul. Well, hold on. 1 John 1.8 tells us, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And what does it say? And the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. So anyone who thinks he's, he's a good person without sin is only fooling themselves. There is none righteous, no, not one, and you and I are not the exception. When, when, when we get saved, Jesus doesn't destroy our, our, all of our bodily weaknesses either. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes in and he fills us with his presence, but, but we still have bodily weaknesses. Anybody getting older out there? Anybody feeling the effects of getting older? Come on, somebody. We're, we're, there's weaknesses that show up. There's pains, aches and pains, there's health issues that, that, that tend to, to come our way. Am I just telling the truth? Come on. Anybody as strong as they were when they were 20 years old or, you know, or, or 19 or 15? Come on. So, so these things start to show up. So obviously our bodies aren't perfect. Back in 19, 1979, they released a movie entitled 10. Anybody remember that one? 10, right? And who was the star of that one? Bo Derek. Bo Derek. And so, and so Bo Derek was considered by many at the time as the perfect 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, Bo Derek was a 10. And this was her back then. Today, uh, today you, know, you see her hair, she'd be accused of uh, cultural appropriation <laughs> for the braids that are in her hair. And the cancer culture will say, get rid of her because of the braids that are in her hair. I kind of look at things differently. I, I think imitation is the highest form of flattery. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think it, when people are walking around with Jamaican shirts and, and stuff like that, I, I think that's awesome. 
okay? Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Well, in November, Bo Derek, that was, I think she was in her 20s back then, in, in November of this year, she will be 64 years old. 64 years old. Now look at the difference between when she was in her 20s and when she's 64. And I think even at 64, she's still a pretty attractive woman. Wouldn't you agree? But she's probably not going to make the cover of a magazine as a perfect 10. Can, you, can, can we all agree on that one? All right? I don't care how much work she gets done. She's not going to make the cover of a, 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 as a perfect 10. But here's my point. While we're on this earth, our souls will continue to, to kind of wake. I mean, our souls, which are continuing to live in our bodies, our bodies are going to continue to kind of waste away. We live in a corruptible body. And from time to time, you know, because of the weaknesses in our body, you might stumble. You might fall. You might sin because none of us are completely flawless and none of us are above being tempted. And as much as we like to pretend, we all have moments when our hearts are not completely pure. You don't have to raise your hand. I just know it's true. And, the th and, and this struggle is going on as, as, as for as long as we live in these bodies on this earth. And so if it were not for the atoning blood of Jesus, come on, somebody. If it wasn't for the atoning blood of Jesus that, that God liberally applies to every single one of us, the Bible tells us where we would go because of the sins in our lives. It says the wages of sin is death. And it's not talking about a physical death. Everyone dies physically. It's talking about a spiritual death, eternally separated from the Father. That's where we would go because that's what we would deserve apart from Christ. Well, let's check back in with Pastor Tim and the hog farmer. Pastor Tim and George continue to talk. And finally, the preacher asked George if he could buy a hog from him. And George was proud of his hogs. And he, he told the preacher that his hogs had consistently won blue ribbons in, at the county fair. You've, you've come to the right place to buy a hog, he told the preacher. And after looking over the, far, the farmer's entire swine herd, the pastor pointed to a scrawny, sickly, ugly little runt, and he said, I want that one. That's the one I want. More of the story in just a minute. <laughs> Listen, if point one was church people are far from being perfect, point two is we should still strive for biblical perfection. For biblical perfection. Let me tell you what I mean by biblical perfection. When the Bible uses the word perfection, it doesn't mean without, you know, blemish and, and perfect like the, the first definition I gave you. Biblical perfection means maturity. Maturity. Write that down somewhere. Matthew 5, 4, uh, 48 says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The message breaks down for us. Because a lot of people will look at that and get discouraged. Well, Pastor Rick, you said we can't be perfect, and now the Bible is saying we got to be perfect. Like Heavenly Father is perfect. Let's look at the message. It says, in a word, what I'm saying is, help me out, somebody. Grow up. Grow up. You're kingdom subjects. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. I love how the Bible describes how God's heart is generous and gracious toward us. And then it turns around and says, because his heart is generous and gracious toward us, we should also do that toward 
other people. But what is the word the, 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 the message translates for uh, perfection? It translates the word as grow up. Biblical perfection means growing up spiritually. Newsflash. God expects us to grow up spiritually. Come on, somebody. This shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Now, someone might ask, well, how do we grow up spiritually? Well, how do we grow up physically? We, we got to nurture ourselves, right? We got to eat right and, and put ourselves in, in a good environment. It's similar with spiritual. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Whenever you see the word righteousness, just translate it as right living. That the man of God may be what? That's the word it uses. And we're, and we're substituting that word perfect for mature, right? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so when it says the man of God, it also, it's, it's a generic term. It means a human being. It's man and woman. That the man or the, uh, the men and women of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished in all, all good works. The message translates it. Every part of scripture is God breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live. How? how? Did you know that God has a way that he wants us to live? We're my young people. Did you know that God has a way he wants us to live? Yes. Training us to live God's way. Then he tells us how. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Again, that word uses the word shaped up, but it also means grow up, and it's a buzzword for maturity or spiritual perfection. So when the Bible says, be ye perfect or strive for perfection, it's saying strive to show up and grow up in the things of the Lord, to become mature, to become complete, to become perfect or mature. Amen? And it tells us how. It says use the word of God. The word of God has the ability to, 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 to become like a mirror in our lives. It, it will show us when we go to a mirror in the morning, it helps us to figure out what, you know, if our hair is combed properly, I, I had some uh, E.T. bagel this morning on my way in. And anyone ever had those E.T. bagels? You know what E.T. bagel is? Everything bagel, right? Uh, and you, you put that thing on, and I said, I want mine toasted. Toasted, I like it with butter on it. And so I'm saying, oh, yeah, it was really good. I, went, I drove through a Dunkin'. But the problem with the E.T. everything bagel is after you're done, <laughs> what's going on? You got seeds where? Uh, on your teeth. So I'm sitting there, and Brittany's in the car. I said, do I have any seeds in my teeth? She said, yep. So over there and over there. So I do my best to get it out. And then I said it again, do I have any? Yep, right up until I got here. You know what I had to do? I had to go find myself a mirror. That's what the Word of God does. It will show us our flaws. It will show us what's right and what's not right. And so, and so that we can make the correction. Anybody with me this morning? Amen? Philippians 3.12 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. 
In other words, just because you come in one way, just because you come in spiritually with E.T. Seed, e. bagel seeds in your teeth, come on somebody, he doesn't expect you to stay that way. He doesn't expect you to, that, that you came in with a sinful behavior or a sinful pattern or sinful attitude that you would stay that way. Because what he's going to do is he's going to show you the word and the word is going to say, you know, this is what you were, this is what you were doing, but this is what I expect. This is what clean looks like. This is what godly living looks like as it relates to your marriage or the raising of your children or the attitude of your heart. That's what his word is for. And it's not for us to look at it and say, oh, this is how you made me, and I just walk away. No! He gave you his Holy Spirit. He gave you his word, and he says, clean it up. Come on, somebody. Clean it up. Just because you come in one way doesn't mean you ought to stay that way. And the process is infant, toddler, child, teen, and then an adult. That's the natural progression physically, but it's also the same spiritually. It's something that we have to keep working at and working toward. The NIV translates verse 12 as this. Now that I've already, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on and take hold of what, that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now that word press in verse 12 comes from a Greek word which which, which means to do something with intense effort. To do something with intense effort. To follow in haste or pursue just like a runner in a race. It's, it's intentional and it's using intensity to walk after the, and, and to go after the things of the Lord. It's not just about showing up, putting on your Christian hat and your T-shirt and your bumper sticker. No, it takes some effort. I got to open up God's word, amen? I got to spend some time in prayer. I've got to go to the spiritual bathroom and look at the mirror and allow it to inform me as to the corrections that I need to make in terms of my attitude and my heart's ambitions. Am I talking to anybody out there this morning? Anybody know what I'm talking about? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Where are my athletes out there? Where are my athletes out there? No, no athletes? Wow. Where are my old athletes out there? Used to play. <laughs> there we go. There, there we go. Where, where are my competitors out there? Come on, somebody. Where are my competitors? I, I, mean, I mean, I was raised in such a way, I, I'm just a competitive person. It doesn't matter what it is. It just doesn't matter. And so I told you last week, you know, we started these family games at my house, and, and we're loving it. I finally won one two weeks ago, which was awesome because I was on a losing streak. But finally, I challenged my family. I said, okay, we're going to go back to the source game. Uno. Uno. And so we sat down two days ago, and, and, and the first game went, went to my daughter, 
And mind you, I already lost like 27 times. I'm, I'm trying to figure out this is a game of chance and luck. Why isn't it falling? 27, and the first game went to my daughter. And then the next game, I thought, they had this new little card, right? This new little card where, where you can shuffle your, your, your deck, where, where if your hand is too many and you get this card, you can put down the wild card and take somebody else's. Well, I got the card. I'm like, this is my game. This is it. And I got it. And, and, and I had like 10 cards and my wife had two cards. And I shuffled. She said, what's going on? Give me yours. And I still lost. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, we're going to play like one more time. <laughs> and that third game, say the third game. The third game, everybody's going, Uno, Uno, Uno. And then finally I got Uno. And then, then they, and then they dropped down a one. It wasn't the same color, but I had the one in my hand. And I dropped down that one. Uno out. And I got up. And I started dancing. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, it was a Uno game. And my daughter, I started cracking up to the point where I was crying. And she took out her little, little video. She started videotaping that. And then my wife said, you okay? <laughs> so, babes, I lost 27 times. I'm going to rejoice over that one time that I finally went. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. And so, and so the Paul says, if you feel that way about an Uno game or, or about a football game or about your favorite uh, this team or that team, and, and you start rejoicing, what causes you to rejoice? Well, the Bible says as it relates to the things of the Lord, listen, we should be rejoicing over the victories in our lives concerning that. And he says we should take it so serious. That we should run in such a way that we should want to win the race. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about a casual Christian who's just willing to sit by and say, Yeah, I checked off the church box today. I threw a little money in the box. Lord, what's the win? And, and, and the attitude of my heart should be one of striving to be all that God wants me to be. The Apostle Paul describes how we're to grow up, and he describes why we're to grow up. I, I need everybody to pay attention. Don't, don't, don't check out on me this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, these are the gifts. Listen, this is, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. We're talking about the gifts that God gave to the church. Where, who's the church? Turn to someone and say, we're the church. Say, we're the church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're the church. This is the gift that God gave to the church. The apostles, they wrote most of the scriptures. Come on, somebody. The prophets, the evangelists, of the pastors. Don't hate your pastor. He's a gift. <laughs> and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Where's God's people? Who's God's people? Come on. Say it's me. It's you. To do what? To do his work and to build up the church, 
the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, what's the word it uses? Mature. Mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So how does he do it? He, he, he brings anointed people to teach his word and to pour into the church so that the, so that the church can do the work of the ministry. And then he tells us why he does it. And I need everybody to pay attention. He tells us why. Verse 14. Then, once we reach this maturity, we will no longer be what? Immature. immature like who? Like children. And this is what immature spiritual children do. Listen. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Are you guys listening? Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part. Someone say, you got a part. You got a part to play. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others to do what? Stay spiritual infants? Help me out, somebody. It helps the others to do what? To grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Amen? God wants the church to grow up. And the way he established the church to grow was he gifted the church with anointed people to pour into them. And the purpose of them pouring in is so that they can do the work of the ministry and that they become fully mature in the things of the Lord. And once that happens, the Bible says, you're not gonna be they're not going to be able to be dissuaded or pulled off by people telling lies. Do you, know, do you know what the fastest growing cult in the world is today? Do you know what it is? Jehovah Witness. Do, do, you, know, do you know who the, the, the highest number of people who are falling into that cult are in terms of people that they're grabbing? Immature Christians. Immature Christians who don't know the word. It's the same folks who will get caught up in the latest foolishness of the day. They don't know the word. So they can't tell when they're being lied to with lies so clever <laughs> that they sound like the truth. Come on, somebody. I need somebody to listen to me today. Because the whole world, at least all of America, is getting caught up in lies that sound like the truth. And the reason is because they're immature and they cannot discern truth from lies. Back to Pastor Tim and critical George Hollister on his hog farm. So the farmer objected. 
because Pastor Tim decided to get the scorniest, ugliest little runt. He objected vigorously. Why, preacher? You don't, you don't want that one. He's the scorniest runt I ever saw. Look, there's some fine hogs over there. That's all right, said the preacher. I want that one. That's the one I want. We're going to hear the end of that story in just a moment. So if point number one is church people are far from being perfect, and point number two, should I end here? Should I just end it? Should we just end it? I mean, do we want to hear the end of this? We want to hear the end of this, right? If point number two is that we should strive for biblical perfection, point three is, listen, we are not perfect, but we are perfectly loved and forgiven by the Father. Come on, somebody. Amen? That's called grace. Write that down somewhere, grace. Philippians 3, 8 and 9 through 9 says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage or dung, so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Listen to me, every Christian. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how close our relationship is with the Lord, we are in constant need of God's grace. Come on, somebody. Daily, we're in constant need of his grace on a daily. Lamentation said this in chapter, uh, Lamentation chapter 3, verse 22. It says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new. Help me, someone. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's what we sang about this morning. His mercies and his grace are new every 365 days a year. Every single morning, his mercies are new. Thank God. Thank God. Because our need for forgiveness is great. First John 1 John 1.8, again, a reminder, if we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we, claim, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Again, a lot of times I just like to go to a different translation. So, so we can get the flavor of what that scripture is saying. Listen to what the New Living says. It says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. People should not be running away from Jesus. They should be running to him. Amen. He's the advocate. He's the one saying, Lord, yes, they've blown it, but my blood covers their sin. Come on, somebody. He's the one. Now, listen close. Listen close. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, just so you know, those of you who think you're going to be reincarnated, that's a lie. That's one of those lies that are being perpetrated that people want to believe it. Praying the crystals and reincarnation, complete and utter nonsense. The Bible says 
The Bible says just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Come on. Amen, somebody? Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Here's the question. When you die, do you want to be judged on how perfect you were? Apart from the grace of God? Because as good as we may think that we are, we've established there's no one is perfect. And if you could be perfect apart from the grace of God, it makes the sacrifice of Jesus irrelevant. It makes no sense. But God knew that there's none righteous, no, not one, and out of love he sent his son. For God so loved you. Never get confused with the heart of the Father toward you. Everything that motivates his moves was done out of love. Jesus came on a rescue mission because we were drowning in our sin. And what we all deserve was to be eternally separated from the Father. And he sent his son as a big old, I love you. Come to me. Come to me. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that, that if you believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. So if worldly perfection is the standard, there's only one who met that criteria. The perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His name is Jesus Christ. Friends, we are not judged on our ability to be good Christians. Whether we go to heaven or hell is based entirely, listen to me, on our dependence on Jesus Christ, on our faith, not just in our good works, but in a good God. Amen? Amen? We all need Jesus. We all need Christ. Let me give you the fourth and final one. Christian perfection is complete dependence on Jesus for your salvation. Complete. Not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. The older we get, the more we become aware of our own imperfections and the more we're convinced of our need for him. And as that happens, you become more sensitive to the will of God in your life and therefore we have to continue to do what Paul says. We need to press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for us. As Paul wrote in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. We will never be perfect in these earthly bodies. Let me say it again. We will never be perfect in our earthly bodies. Stop stressing. Stop stressing. And start recognizing that. We're all sinners. And we all are in need of a Savior. And we can be forgiven through confession and putting our trust in Jesus for the repentance of our sins. Does that make sense? But let's see why Pastor Tim wants to buy the scorniest runt. And we're going to conclude the story this time. Say amen. amen. After 
the price had been agreed upon and the deal was completed, George asked what the preacher was going to do with this sickly-looking pig. Pastor Tim said, I'm going to let my son show that pig at the county fair and tell everyone that this is the kind of hogs you raise. Hey, preacher, that's not fair, the farmer protested. I raise fine hogs, and occasionally an, an occasional runt doesn't, doesn't ruin my whole stock, to which Pastor Tim replied, I'm only following your example of con condemning a whole church because of the stunted spirituality of a few of its members. Oh, snap. Wow. And as I thought of that story, I started thinking about other things that might apply to. Because we've got people all over the, the country and nearly over the world raging over the, the, the runt behavior of a few in the police force and condemning the entire police because of the behavior of a few. You got people condemning entire races over the behavior of a few from hundreds of years ago. Listen to me. If you are stupid enough to condemn everyone for the acts of a few, you are the problem. You are the problem. You are a misguided hypocrite like the farmer who took three or four people and condemned the entire church for the behavior of three or four people. Folks, there's no such thing as perfect people. There are no perfect Christians. There are no perfect churches. There's no one perfect. No, not one. And to hold everyone to the standard of whatever your mind says is perfect, you are like the farmer and the religious Pharisees of the day who are pointing the finger in condemnation. The problem with pointing the finger at other people's sins, there's always three pointing right back at you. Let me just say this to those who do go to church, though. My church goes out there. I'm calling you to remember that people are indeed watching you. And it may not seem fair, but Christians are held to a higher standard. Church people need to make sure that they aren't providing someone with an excuse for not coming to the Lord. But the truth is, we're all sinners. And you're either saved by God's grace or you're not saved at all in or outside of the church and just because you attend a church doesn't make you a Christ follower salvation comes to those 
who in or outside the church admit that they're sinners and they need a Savior and they start to live for the Lord. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I ask. It says, in the last days, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to turn around and say, I don't even know you. And so if you haven't done that, you need to put your trust in God. The Apostle Paul came to the point, and his declaration was simply this. If anyone could, could put their trust in righteous legalism, it was him. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the strictest sect, it, uh, uh, regarding following the law, flawless in, in his own words a persecutor of the church. And his end conclusion was this. When he came to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love that confronted him and the righteous standard that God provided through his son, when he put up his standard next to the righteousness that God provided through his son, he realized that his good works were worthless, worse. He said it was one translation, it was dung. He threw out all those pedigrees and, and philosophies just so he can get to know Christ better and come into communion with him through faith. Through faith in the finished work of Calvary on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the love of your soul. And he knows that we are not perfect, but we are all perfectly loved by the Father. Amen? And that love was demonstrated in the giving of his one and only Son. And the invitation goes out to every single one. Whoever is willing may come. And don't wait. Don't wait till you get your act together. Because you're never going to get your act together apart from Christ. You're not. And the moment you accept Jesus Christ, he starts to work from the inside out. And he starts to put his desires in your heart. And he'll put a hunger in you to, to fellowship with other believers. The church not only wants you, he needs you. And you come into fellowship with other believers. And, and we all get into God's word under the, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that is so that we could grow up. And in growing up, he says, the end result will be that we will no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every lie that is so clever that it's designed to deceive. Because we will know the truth. And the truth will set us free. And the truth will keep us free. And the truth has a name. What's his name? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so let me encourage you. Or while I'm giving this invitation, somebody gave me the, uh, the movie or the, do the docudrama. Highly recommend it. 
the chosen. The chosen. And you get a chance, if you get a chance, go look that up and listen to that. Because it just, it, it's like lightning in the bottle. It looked like they caught it. They caught it. But in coming to Christ, all you have to do is say, Lord, I hear you. I believe and I receive. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came for every single one of us. And he's calling you today. If you've not yet given your heart to Christ, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer because I believe he's calling you today. I want everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. If your heart is to start saying yes to the Father, to get off the perfection game, because there's none righteous, no, not one, to put your trust completely in him, say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I've blown it in so many ways. I ask you to forgive me for, of my sins. And today, yes, Lord, today I set aside the striving because I can't be perfect. There's none righteous, no, not one. I set aside my self-righteousness for the righteousness that you have provided on the cross of Calvary. I believe and I receive your grace and the gift of eternal life provided through your son, Jesus Christ. And because he lives, I will live as well. Come into my life and come into my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. I want every head is bowed, every eyes closed. If anything said today ministers to your heart, the Holy Spirit, maybe you're playing the perfection game, maybe you're standing in the seat of the judge, jury, and executioner against God's people. And God's people come in all races. Check your heart and ask God to forgive you and to cleanse your heart and to bring you in right relationship. And ask everyone, say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to mature in you. Give me a hunger and desire to know you and to know your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.